Welcome everybody. I'm your host, Heidi Mater, media planner for TEC Direct Media, and you're listening to Media in the Moment. This is our agency podcast that reviews the most exciting things happening in the world of media. So let me ask you a question. Are you interested in driving sales with a proven digital media solution? Well, this episode is for you. Today, we're talking about the Amazon DSP. Joining me in the discussion is our president, Chuck Federley, and media strategist, Nate Marshall. So without further delay, let's jump into the episode. Chuck and Nate, thank you very much for joining me today. Absolutely. Great to be here. I don't think we had much of a choice, did we, Nate? (laughs) (laughs) Well, nevertheless, (laughs) here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nevertheless, thanks for joining. Let's start off with the basics. There may be a lot of groundwork here with the Amazon DSP, but do you guys have a definition of what it is? I'll take a first stab. I was looking at this earlier and I said, you know, what is this? Like, how best do we describe this to somebody? And this really isn't that different than what you do with a Facebook ad platform, really. I mean, that's another kind of example of a DSP. This platform, this buying platform that an advertiser can use within a certain universe to get out their ad messages. And it's very contained. I mean, it obviously just those just run in the Facebook environment. The Amazon DSP is just another DSP. I think what's really cool about it is that we have their first party data that allow us to reach people who have made past purchases of certain things. And if you are selling certain things and you want to reach those people, then, you know, we can find that audience. I would just answer it by saying it's another ad buying platform that has some really interesting tools and and benefits. Yeah. And to your point, a lot of people don't think of Facebook as a DSP, but really it's the best part about the Amazon DSP is that it's able to combine its own owned and proprietary inventory, as well as what's available across the open exchange. So it kind of combines, you know, two types of the best kinds of DSPs that are available. Yes. You mentioned using past purchase data. Is there a specific category or a specific client that we've used this for? I mean, we've seen success with really brands and advertisers across all kinds of verticals. I mean, whether you're a music brand or client, whether you're CPG, fitness products, I mean, really anything you're seeing sold on Amazon, we've seen success kind of pushing that traffic direct back there. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the secret that we're telling our clients is that, look, this is a great tool and it can yield some terrific results, but your product has to be sold on Amazon really to make it, I think, right, correct, worthwhile. That pretty much covers all of the basics. Let's dig a little bit deeper. So actually utilizing the Amazon DSP for our clients, a big portion of it is creative. So what are the creative formats that are available to clients? Well, creative's huge, right? With any uh, digital media advertising. So, I mean, the typical formats that we're using are display and, and video. I don't believe there's audio, is there, Nate? Or at least we haven't used it. No, it's it, they're really display is is really the primary driver of a lot of the business, and as well as video and video being you know online video, as well as some Amazon OTT slash CTV which I know we've covered in past podcasts, but they're still growing the video space. I'd say standard display is really the the primary driver as of now. Right. So any of any of our listeners who are doing display advertising that 
also sell their products on Amazon, this is this is something you have to look at if you haven't already. Let's say that we have a client who's already doing, let's say, programmatic buying via another DSP. If they were interested in Amazon DSP, how do we explain that to them? What are the differences between, you know, regular programmatic buying via DSP and then the Amazon DSP? Yeah, I'd say really the two biggest differences between Amazon DSP and another DSP, it's going to come down to one, the data and two, the inventory. So one, when it comes to data, you know, with Amazon, you actually have access to their first party data. So what that means is as opposed to just hoping a third party behavioral audience is really going to get after the, the audience we're searching here, we're actually going to use past searchers, viewers, and ultimately purchasers of specific products directly on Amazon, and then actually retarget those, those people who were viewing, searching, and purchasing those products. And secondly, you know, with the inventory side, as I kind of mentioned before, you know, some DSPs are just aggregating open exchange inventory, and others are just selling their own personal inventory. Well, Amazon DSP is essentially doing both. It's it's able to tap into those SSPs as well as tap into Amazon's own property. Think Amazon.com, think IMDb, and really anything under their umbrella. Yeah, and I would I would add to that. Keep this in mind. We've had a couple of clients who have had you know fairly unique types of products. You'd think that wow, you know, it's going to be hard to find scale as we refer to it or a large enough audience right to reach but folks this is amazon i mean you talk about reach you talk about penetration i mean there is just you know a massive massive amount of scale and even though you may be looking for a needle in a haystack sometimes you're probably going to be successful in finding several of those needles on amazon so i would just add that to to the comments Hundred percent. And the way we can segment those audiences, we're we're able to kind of hit down that funnel and make sure that we can we can supplement any scale necessary, depending on small budgets, big budgets. There's just, I mean, they have so many tools available. So looking at an overall media strategy, how would you say Amazon DSP fits into that? I'll I'll first say I think you know as an old I would did direct response media for a number of years early in my career. And this is absolutely falls into a direct response strategy, a direct to consumer strategy, a sales strategy, right? Because this is a fantastic solution for doing, you know, in advertising, doing an impression served all the way through to the sale, right? So this is not, although you get awareness, you get that benefit. I think this is more for those people who are very sales driven and want to see you know, a return on ad spend from those dollars that they've placed. So this is, uh, this falls into that arena and uh, it's very effective for that. hundred percent. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better. I think targeting is probably one of the most in-depth parts of Amazon DSP and one of the biggest benefits as well. And there's also a lot of options out there. So can you guys touch on targeting within the Amazon DSP? maybe about in-market and lifestyle? In-market and lifestyle audiences from Amazon, this is where you're thinking more of the standard third-party behavioral audiences that you'd have available on other DSPs as well. The one thing I'd say though, is that they do incorporate kind of a user's browsing behavior on some level, whether that's on amazon.com or some of their 
purchasing and, and just browsing behavior across sites on the open exchange. So th they're grouped into looser categories than say, you know, some of those custom retargeting audiences we were talking about and we'll get into further. But I'd say th those, those are more top of the line awareness type audiences you would use. Think music fans, rock fans, you know, outdoor sporting equipment purchasers. It, it, it kind of groups it into a higher category just to finish that out. Yeah. And I would say like right now we're working with a music client who has an emerging artist. So they have a very uh, small amount of fans right now. It's not, not a huge amount. And we're plugging them in because they do sell a, they do sell product on Amazon. So we're obviously going to target those people that have purchased from them in the past, which is going to be a small amount of people. But we're also then going to say, what other music do these fans also listen to? And of course, we have a bunch of tools that we can use to tell us those things, let alone our clients tell us. And then we can we can find those fans, those consumers who have purchased maybe music from a different artist. So it doesn't have to just be a one-to-one -one sort of targeting strategy. You can expand and prospect for other customers or fans, whatever you want to call them, by using that kind of approach. People have talked about how you can target on ASINs. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> I, I can't. Nate, you better take that one. All right, no problem. <laughs> what, what is an ASIN? Yeah, so an ASIN is quite literally an Amazon standard identification number. So every single product on Amazon is going to have an ASIN tag on it that identifies what that is within the system. Now, that specific ASIN is really the, the modifier that's going to hold all of that first party data that really gets used for those custom audiences and retargeting. So this is really where the the money of Amazon DSP comes in, really where the that all the top of line initiatives that you're going to be putting your investment into, you want to use these kind of ASIN audiences. So you're taking the ASIN codes on, on specific products and you're saying, find me in the last 30, 60, 90, 120 days, people who searched this product on Amazon, people who viewed this product but didn't convert, and then ultimately the most valuable people who purchased this specific ASIN in the past, and then someone who purchased, let's say for music, you know, an album from an artist two years ago, well, they have a new album coming out. I mean, that's going to be one of the most in-market opportunities to reach that consumer you can find out there. And Heidi, you know, I'm joking when I say I don't know what an ASIN is because I know <laughs> I know that you know what it is and, and I know what it is. But because we talk about them all the time when we're setting up these types of campaigns and that's Nate where, you know, you guys would be sitting down with a client and collaborating, right? And coming up with all these different ASINs, right? And attached to that ASIN is a product or something. Um, and you'd sit down with the client and say, okay, here are, here are some of the types of people that we're going to be trying to hit. You know, does this feel right? Does this yes. look right? And in most cases, it's it's spot on, of course, because we're just awesome at what we do. <laughs> and, and truly, it's the most valuable. It's kind of in, in the pyramid of it. The most valuable ASIN is going to be specific to your brand or product and past purchasers of it. And then it kind of branches down to find as as the big brands as similar as possible, similar ASINs as possible. And then you keep going down the pyramid and that's when you start adding in the contextual demo devices, you know, in market right. and lifestyle audiences. That's where you kind of fill out scale. But the top of that pyramid, that's really where all, that you're really pushing those units sold. Yeah. And I think that's important to mention, right? Because you, you can still do some of the more traditional targeting strategies. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, it, that's fine. 
most of the people that we work with, it is national in scope, so they don't want to shut down, let's say, a particular market. But there could be reasons that you need to do that. There certainly could be reasons to go after a certain age level or income level, et cetera. So all that is still available. Remember, this is still a DSP. So all those different types of targeting are still available to us. So let's put this into action. So I love Nate, it. Can, can, you, <laughs> can you share with us? What's your budget? One, <laughs> can you share with us an example of a case study or one of our clients can you share us a success story? Let me put them on the spot. Yeah. I want to put them on the spot here. So, Nate, I want you to, because you could give several case studies for us. The one that I really loved was around the, a music artist that we did last year. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. It was for James Taylor, and it was a fantastic campaign. But let's do that one. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and that was really where my mind was going as well, because this was a great campaign. Great so, minds think alike. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Simpatico, baby. <laughs> so basically, you know, we worked with this client to, the main goal was we really wanted to maximize the return on ad spend here. We really wanted to generate as many units sold of right. the, the specific release, in this case, American Standard. We really wanted to maximize that total return on ad spend that units sold. That's really where the we want to be able to show that the media investment was worth their while. And this was really at a time Amazon DSP was not at the forefront of a lot of brands kind of strategies. They weren't really weren't seeing it as a retail play yet. So it was more difficult to kind of educate and be able to plan around that and suggest it as an integral part of the overall plan. Yeah. And you know what? The, the, <laughs> This is music that we're selling here on Amazon. And a lot of people are going, well, if isn't everybody streaming now? There's nobody really buying physical product. That's not true. There still is a large part or a large audience that's buying physical product. So this was a very good play or tactic, if you will, to realize and to increase sales. A hundred percent. And what was great was we actually got to be able to work with the client directly to really kind of fine comb the overall setup strategy here. So we knew going in, we wanted to remarket users who viewed but didn't convert as well as previously purchased prior James Taylor album releases specifically on Amazon. Now that was really, as we mentioned, that was the primary audience that was driving total return on ad spend. But kind of secondarily using that retargeting ASIN audiences, we also wanted to find similar artists and bands, whether it be ones that have kind of collaborated with James Taylor in the past, or maybe they just kind of fit in the same mold and genre. So think artists like Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, Fleetwood Mac, Simon and Garfunkel, Gordon Lightfoot. Th these are suggestions based off the data we have on our end on Amazon, as well as working with the client directly to see kind of what bands they know on their side really have a tight fit audience-wise with James Taylor. Right. And as we set that up, the results came in and we were absolutely blown away with what we saw. Keep in mind, that's only counting sales that were fully attributed to the campaign. That's not taking into account the lift in streams, whether it be on Spotify or Apple Music, or purchases via other outlets, whether it be Target, really anywhere the album is sold. And it, it absolutely does have a role. You know, those awareness-driven display ads, they absolutely have a lift on streams and other outlets for purchases. 
And wasn't the the return on ad spend was so good after we call it our first phase. We thought it was our, you know, that was it. And that was going to be our budget. And then we would be over uh, with that campaign. We actually, came, they came back with uh, subsequent dollars to continue, correct? Yes. Multiple rounds, Chuck. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was, I believe there were two or three additional rounds, just trying to keep the momentum going, just highlighting some of his specific media appearances over the coming weeks. And while total return on ad spend for all of those continue to be north of a dollar, I'd have to look and see what those were in particular. But I mean, it was phenomenal no matter what the strategy was. Sure, and keep sure. in mind, we've seen campaigns with return on ad spends far north of that and not many far south of that. So we're really kind of finding a that sweet spot of really utilizing those audiences that are ASIN related, past purchasers, and then it's just sure. the, the money keeps coming. And you have to remember, folks, when you're talking about return on ad spend, if the product you're selling is only 10 or 15 bucks, right, that's a very low price point. So you have to sell quite a few of them. In this case, it's music, which tends to be a lower price point. But if you have something that's much higher, obviously, there's not as many sales needed to give you that ROAS, return on ad spend that we talk about. But the great thing is it's all measurable. I was close to this campaign and watched the team do this. And it was fun looking at the reports every couple of days and seeing how there was a little bit of ebb and flow. There is still optimization, we call it, you know, oh, making the camp perform better. So we were ap actively managing this, but it's a great success story. And it's one of many that we've had with Amazon DSP. So we're big proponents of it and um, happy to do other campaigns for other clients. Keep in mind, this was early on in the Amazon process. So our strategy has only refined over time and we're absolutely ready to get something set up for you right on i think that pretty much covers all of our bases so chuck nate thank you very much for joining us today on this episode if you have any other questions our team is happy to answer them for you you can reach us via email or teams call or even a phone call you know that team call is what we're doing these days so <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time thanks guys thank you